Welcome back to Booze and Buffy, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel one by one. We will be free of spoilers from future episodes, but full spoiler warning for any episode that we've talked about before. I'm Jason, and I'm not going to lie, pancakes and waffles sounds like the perfect breakfast. And I'm Harrison, and I'm taking some notes from Gunn on what not to do the next time I need to break up with someone for their own good. (laughs) Jason, what episode are we watching today? We are watching Angel Season 3, Episode 18, Double or Nothing. This is the one where uh, Angel is dealing with the aftermath of all of the crap that has happened over the last couple of episodes. Gunn uh, has an old old agreement that he has to settle. And Cordelia and Grusalog come back! Yay! Double or Nothing was written by David Goodman and directed by David Grossman. Um, I did have to check a couple times to make sure I got Goodman and Grossman in the right place. You're right, good job. <laughs> uh, and it originally aired on April 22nd, 2002. Let's go. Jason. Harrison. Welcome back to my home. I I like being here. We were away for a little bit. We were. I got um, a little COVID. You you got the vid. Uh, It was awful. It was, this is my second time that I've had COVID, and it was so much worse than the first time. Well, and also, like, you you had to deal with it alone. Yeah. Because uh, John did not have the vid. Yeah, John managed to avoid it, which, thank goodness. Yeah. But uh, that did mean I was, I had one little room to myself in the house. <laughs> we pulled the futon out and moved the TV in there, and uh, one of the TVs, uh, the one from our bedroom. But uh, it was, yeah, it was, and even after I, like, was testing negative again, it still took me a while to like recover like little things were like exhausting me but i am back i'm feeling i'm feeling pretty good great um so uh and then john's parents came to town not unexpectedly but i forgot that they were coming (laughs) and i had we had to like host them for the night and then take them to the airport the next day. So it's like, oh no, that fucked up our schedule too. Um, also, I was recovering from uh, from a little experience of my own. Um, I was uh, I went to both of the music festivals, both of the big music festivals here in Louisville, uh, Bourbon and Beyond, and Louder Than Life, which is like four days, both weekends, so mm-hmm. eight total days of music, and uh, it was awesome. I'd never been to a music festival before, and uh, but. Good lord, was I tired. <laughs> you know, it's funny, um, Bourbon and Beyond, we couldn't hear, but Louder Than Life, we could hear from from our house. Nice. Not while we were inside, but we go out to for a walk, because um, we're about, what, like two miles from there? Yeah. Probably less. Yep. I, I know, because <laughs> uh, Harrison and John were nice enough to let me, uh, uh, parking at the Kentucky Fair and Expo Center, where the uh, festival took place, is atrocious, $30 a day. Oof. And uh, I'm I'm cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I also have bills to pay, so uh, I they let me park in front of their house, and I just walked the two miles there, which wasn't too bad. Uh, but then after like the two miles back, 
after like you know the day of concerts the day of like standing at shows and everything it's that was rough yeah i bet um yeah but uh no hell of a fun experience so many uh so many bands that i liked growing up i got to see live like avenge sevenfold and green day and uh the killers and then a whole bunch of bands that i really had never listened to before that i kind of fell in love with so i've got lots of new music uh to listen to and yeah it was just a ton of fun wonderful all right well what are you drinking jason uh the good old faithful narragansett uh i was wondering if you were i mean i wasn't wondering because i knew but i was like i wonder if he'll go for the pbr or the narragansett yeah i i know that i know that people especially in the lower income bracket love pbr um to me it's like it's like kind of up there with bud light and just like yeah it's 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 there it's sort of beer that that PBR came from uh, when we uh, got home from something a couple nights ago. We got home really late, um, and the liquor store that has the Narragansett had already closed, and the liquor store that doesn't have the Narragansett, that's all they had. So we're like, well, I guess that's what we're buying. I mean, it's... It's very much along the lines of a uh, Rolling Rock mm-hmm. in that it is a cheap alternative to Bud Light and uh, Budweiser, Michelob Ultra, like all those beers that I at this point I would never pay for um, <laughs> if it's there at like a party or something, which yeah. typically like it's kind of the go-to. Um, then yeah, I guess I'll drink it, but yeah, I don't ever want to pay for Bud Light in my life ever again. Yeah. Uh, what are you drinking? I've got some dark and luscious uh, red the last wine. of it? Uh, actually, I think there was a, there's a little more. Probably maybe like one more glass left in there. Um, but uh, John's on the way back. Well, at some point. I, he might still be at the store, but he's picking me up some cider because I was oh. craving some cider. But, um, but that'll be for later. Mm-hmm. Shall you toast us? Yeah. Um, so big development. Uh, the writer's strike... Uh, for the WGA is I think it's safe to say officially over yeah. or um, paperwork still has to yeah, be done a tentative agreement has been reached and uh, I don't know the full specifics of it but I have heard from many people who are involved in it that it is very beneficial to the writers um, so another example of what unions can do the power of them and how they're for the benefit of people actually doing the work that these executives get paid for so props to them for being union strong and also like continued support for SAG-AFTRA which is still on strike as well as um the strikes that are happening for many of the auto companies Mm -hmm. um it was very publicized that uh President Biden went to uh stand on one of the picket lines for those strikes which I don't think a president has ever done before. Um, so, I mean, it's great to see, great to see like such big support for these important. For these important, uh, for these important causes. So, um, cheers to uh, what unions have accomplished and what they will accomplish. Yeah. Cheers.
Um, so we've got a fun episode this week. Uh, we kind of need a fun episode. It gets <laughs> as fun as Angel can get. Um, but uh, we've always had some pretty heavy stuff. And we deal with a little bit of that fallout. Um, and especially in this first scene. Uh, Gunn and Fred are going through all the files trying to figure out what is still pending and what isn't. Um, and, uh, you know, Gunn is giving uh, Wes a really hard time. Uh, he's And Fred is still trying to, like, you know, don't say anything about it. Um, Lorne shows up just to kind of check on their progress. And uh, he spends most of the he spends most of the episode like off screen, um, yeah. you know. He pieces out pretty early. Yeah, I want to say um, I thought this before we got the final villain of the episode, and we had that really cool scene. But uh, shout out to the prosthetics team that make Lorne's that do uh, Andy Hallett's makeup mm-hmm. every episode that he's in. He always looks fantastic. Yeah, um, oh yeah. It, yeah it's... It, and, you know, it's... It looks like, oh, yeah, it's just his hands and his... It's just his, like, his head and his hands. But, I mean, those are... It still looks really good. And, you know, it still takes hours to do for the makeup team. And uh, it always looks great. And uh, the, the practical effects people get a big shout-out, especially for, like, the really awesome effect that they do at the end of the episode. Yeah as well um but yeah the big uh so then um and then of course we have cordelia and Gru coming back from their big vacation yeah i'm so excited it's tampered a bit by this kate gosselin haircut (laughs) yeah you are not a fan of charisma carpenter with the short hair and i kind of have to agree with yeah cordelia and charisma. <laughs> she, um, it might be because we're so used to her, like the majority of her appearances, she has the longer hair. That really just is a better look for her. Yeah, I don't even, I don't, I'm not even wanting to say that, like, short hair is unflattering on her. Because I, there might be a shortcut that works for her, but it's not this. <laughs> and, and in fairness, I don't think this kind of cut looks good on many people that's sort of asymmetrical bob um is even before it became kind of the i need to talk to a manager haircut like i've never really liked it you know that you could just shorten it to karen (laughs) um but um like yeah and i she's also gone too blonde like that like, and it's not to say that I don't think she couldn't rock blonde, but it's I've just, always loved her darker hair. Yeah, it's, um, and especially with, you know, she's, Charisma already has a bit of a darker complexion, and she's quite tanned in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's all very startling. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they do come bearing gifts, and, uh, you know, they're really happy, and everybody just looks at them. It's just like, what happened? And uh, then we get this incredibly simple yet powerful scene. Um, Angel is in the ruined apartment um, or room. Uh, he's looking at um, the charred uh, crib of Connor. 
and just the look that David Boreanaz has, it kills me. Yeah. And he doesn't he doesn't really change it even when Cordelia walks in, and uh, all she says is like, "I'm so sorry." Yeah. And uh, yeah, what what a gut punch! Yeah. And I feel that that was the perfect way to do that mm-hmm. in the wake of all this because obviously with Cordelia being back and getting caught up on everything there are definitely scenes to come I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that she's going to have an interaction with Wes <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah the uh, for now having just come off of forgiving and sleep tight as well it is I think it's exactly the amount exactly the right scene to do at that moment yeah and it's they, I really like how like this you know a lazier show or perhaps a show with a lazier audience might have used this to like do some really like uh, lazy sorry I was trying so hard to come up with a word that wasn't lazy because <laughs> I just said it twice yeah. but I could um just do like some really, really annoying exposition here, and with Fred and Gunn and Lauren catching Cordy up. Here's what you missed on Glee, um, <laughs> but um, interesting choice uh, of shows. <laughs> you could have gone with erstwhile on Fargo, <laughs> my favorite, so my good. personal favorite. Um, but no, we know what happened, and we know we don't need to see Cordelia's reaction to this news. We do need to see Angel and Cordelia's first interaction after she gets the news. Yeah. And it's, it's like you said, it's simple. Uh, very few words shared, but a lot of emotions yeah. uh, in, in, that, in that simplicity. Yeah, and I love that basically from this scene onward, it's almost like Cordelia didn't leave. Because yeah. once Angel's like kind of shaken out of his stupor to help Fred get gun back mm-hmm. the you know they're like they're right back on it they're like in tandem yeah. and uh, I really do that's that's honestly one of the most enjoyable parts about that casino scene yeah um, speaking of this whole gun plot I just want to say I think this episode I was thinking about this episode earlier today as I was like preparing our, my, my brain for this recording and I was like this is a bit of a breather episode um, between the uh, obviously the last several very arc heavy episodes and as we are gonna gear we're gearing up to go into the final act of the season um, we do have this episode where the stakes for us the audience, are relatively low. Like, I don't think there's a world where any of us thought that Gunn was going to lose his soul, um, and certainly not Angel as well. Um, I guess Angel, uh, for a newer audience, that, that's always a bit on the table, but <laughs> I don't think anyone thought it was going to happen here. Um, so for the, from my perspective, I'm looking at this and going, like, the stakes are low, but um, for the characters, um, you know, Angel has that line that I love so much towards the end of the episode where um, after, you know, after everything they just went through, he says, we're not going to lose another member of this family. The stakes are the highest they've ever been 
emotionally for these people right now because they have to save Gunn. Yeah, and it's also a great showcase of Gunn and Fred's relationship, yeah. which we've seen we've seen a good amount of, but it didn't take it hasn't taken front and center the way that it has because we've had all the other stuff happening, which is kind of kind of summed up in Angel just asking, "Wait, Gunn and Fred are dating?" Hilarious. <laughs> but you know um, what? I'm not going to blame him for not knowing. Dude has been through it. He's been through it. But no, this episode just... it, it They could have easily just thrown a random Monster of the Week episode in here. And in a way it is. But um, they, they pack it with a lot of um, genuine emotions for everyone. That makes it really work. Which I think... Also, it's a gun episode that I'm not cringing through because it's super racist. Yeah, Yay! and also, <laughs> it makes me happy because I don't have to be the one to talk about <laughs> all of the crazy improper things written <laughs> in it. Um, but uh, yes, we do get the uh, casino that is run by a demon named Jenoff. And uh, he... He says that, uh, oh, um, there is a, one of his enforcers comes up, uh, he hands him the angel investigations card and says, it's time to collect his soul. So obviously the first thing you think is, oh, it's angel. They do this twice in this episode, the, the bait and switch. Um, the first one is here. Um, we'll come around to the second one in a moment. Oh, I didn't realize you were done. But, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, so there is a couple called the Frizzlkas. Um, I, th- I believe Gunn and Fred were having problems yeah. pronouncing it as well. Mr. Uh, Mixpitalix. Yeah, yeah. They, is that um, right? Mr. Mixpitalix, yeah. You got it. I, I don't think I quite got it. I think I was a little off, but I feel pretty good for... Trying that off the cuff. Um, and also, uh, for those who don't know who that is, that is a imp from the fifth dimension that constantly uh, messed around with Superman, and the only way to make him disappear is to trick him to say his name backwards. Very strange product of the Silver Age of comics. <laughs> I believe there was one time when uh, like, he was eating a bowl of alphabets, and... Uh, Superman arranged the pieces so that they said his name. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, it's silly. There was a, so much silly stuff in the Silver Age. I just remember him ruining Clark's football game in that episode of Smallville. Ah, uh, yes. Gosh, man. That was one of the first uh, episodes of Smallville I like legit remember watching and I have the memory of it in my head. Uh, I didn't start watching Smallville until season four. And I remember that episode specifically because it had the needle drop of Boulevard of Broken Dreams. I did. Which I just saw live on Sunday, <laughs> which is pretty dope. Uh, speaking of needle drops, we got a pretty damn good needle drop in this one yeah. of Gangsta's Paradise. That was fun. I yeah. knew that one. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Coolio. R.I.P. Um, but uh, back to the uh, Frizzlecas. Uh, the, uh, this couple's been married for 300 years. They have a skinch demon. Not a stench demon, a skinch demon. Uh, they have projectile... They have projectile phlegm launching. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is apparently the last... Uh, apparently they talked to Wes. 
um, when they initially came or back with Sherman. the case. Or Sherman. <laughs> yes, you I... don't even know a Sherman. This is... It is a very funny... Um, this couple's very funny because they're kind of like your typical um, sitcom older couple. They're just like, ah, you don't know. <laughs> which is like... Um, which is endearing when it when it doesn't spend too much time on it. Uh, very much kind of like a, an Archie Bunker Edith sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they wanted to get it out of their lair. Because they've spent, you know, they, they set up a nice lair. And uh, so Gunn says that, uh, oh, yeah, I think I know those things. Like, you know, they're, they're like little imps, kind of like a leprechaun. And <laughs> we get, again, my favorite... One of my favorite running jokes of the Buffyverse. Leprechauns don't exist. Such a good joke. <laughs> and I love that they don't overdo it. But, I mean, we, uh, if, you, if you don't remember, we've mentioned it before. That is, of all, the th- of all the crazy and wacky shit that exists in the Buffyverse, it is common knowledge that leprechauns do not exist because that's just too crazy. That's too silly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also, uh, there's like the, the universe with, uh, that's all shrimp. There, yes, and a universe with no shrimp. Right. <laughs> and the land of trolls. Land of trolls, yes. Um, Gunn says that he'll take care of it. Doesn't seem to be too big of a problem. And, uh, and Fred, uh, as the couple leaves, Fred just kind of comments on how, how cute and adorable they are. And that, you know, all that time together, they still love each other. And, uh, you know, Gunn sees that and he's just got the smile on his face. And um, obviously the big story of this episode is the fact that the only reason that Gunn is getting called up to turn in his soul is because they've kind of, they kind of have detected Mm -hmm. that he's ready to give his soul to another, which is a way of saying like their relationship is really getting serious. And... It's adorable. They are so adorable in this episode. So cute. But not like, not sickeningly adorable. They, and I mean, it, it just goes to J. August Richards and, um, oh my God, why did I blank up? Amy Acker. Amy Acker. <laughs> I just kept wanting to say like Alexis and then like, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> they all have great um, chemistry. They do. But yeah, the, the chemistry, and again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I feel really bad for not savoring um, this coupling uh, because just like other people have said just like Corey says in this episode really thought that oh Fred would um, hit it off with Wes yeah but I think that it is probably the most underrated relationship in the Buffyverse I agree well and on the surface like Wes and Fred appear to have more in common they're both um, they're like I'm not by any means saying Gunn is stupid when I say this, but they're both more intellectually minded. Oh, yeah. Um, Gunn's, know, like, Gunn's not a big book guy. Yeah. Um, he's very smart, but his, you know, he's, he's, you know, she's much, she's very sciencey. He's very magic-y. Gunn is uh, very sensible. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, but on the surface, but, you know, Wesley didn't do anything to try it's part of the reason I get kind of pissed at Wesley and how he acts in this love triangle because he he never makes any attempts to get to know Fred to 
hate the word, but to woo her, and I, Gunn did. Like, yeah, I feel like um, I feel like he didn't make zero attempts. I, I think he did like make a little bit, but it wasn't anything compared to Gunn, yeah. and it didn't like it didn't hit as hard, obviously, as Gunn's uh, as Gunn's attempts to get to know her and woo her yeah. were. Well, I think Wesley, like many of the audience, thought that that base level similarity would be enough. Um, yeah. And that's not how it works all the time. Right. Uh, yeah, you c- One difficult thing that I have learned in my life is that compatibility doesn't always guarantee attraction. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think one of my favorite... Or vice versa. Th- yeah. And I think one of my favorite things about the uh, Gunn-Fred relationship, um, not to, like, be little Fred, but I love that we get it allows us to see the sensitive parts of gun mm-hmm. in a way that we really haven't seen before yeah and uh it's it's great work for the character agreed um so then uh speaking of fred and wesley yes um so fred goes to the hospital um west still can't speak um and this is when fred i think says the exact right thing Got a lot of like the exact right thing happening in this because you know um, we all know how Angel feels about Wes right now, yeah. um, and Fred was standing up to Gun about like or at least like telling him don't say anything about Wes, but Fred basically tells like it is what we've talked about. We talked about Wes's position so far in this um, like throughout all of this, and uh, she says. Look, I know, I know you thought that Connor was in danger, and I know you were trying to protect both him and Angel, but you should have come to us. Mm-hmm. You should have trusted us. You shouldn't have gone to Holtz behind our back. And yeah, in the end, the prophecy was a fake. It was all for nothing. And it was... Uh, I mean, that's exactly the right thing. Yeah. And, and yeah, like I... I do really enjoy that Fred has that perspective because mm-hmm. we obviously saw her very traumatized by everything that happened because this family of hers is so important to her and it obviously had like a huge break. Yeah. And I love that she has the way that she she has come out of this trauma with a very clear mm-hmm. thing of what should have happened. Yeah. She's, yeah, she has a very healthy perspective. Because she does, at the beginning, she tells him, she's like, I don't think Angel was right for attacking you. I think that was wrong. But, like, yeah, she lays it all out very clearly. This, yeah. I, and she does warn Wesley, like, if Angel sees you again, he's going to kill you. Don't ever come back to the Hyperion. Yeah. And, I mean, I think she says that, one, she does still care about Wesley's life. But two, I think she, like, I think at this point she is, even though she knows what he did, she's still pissed at him. Oh, yeah. So, I think, she's like, I don't think she wants to see him at all. I think it's, I think that is half concern for his safety and half the betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, the, an enforcer shows up at the Hyperion. Uh, the only person who is there is the Grusalog, who uh, greets the potential client. Uh, in a very gruesome way, um, yeah, you know, I've 
I'm always mixed on Grusalog post Pylea stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like I like his presence in this episode. Yeah. So this is our kind of second bait and switch because this enforcer thinks he's Angel. Yeah. So we've already been led to believe that Angel is whose soul that Jagoff or whatever, Jin for what's Jin off? Jin off. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna just call him Jagoff. Close. Um, <laughs> Jin off. You know they've already hinted that it's Angel whose soul um, Jin off is after, and we get this enforcer who mistakes the Grusalug for Angel. So it's almost like the episode's trying to tease us that it's gonna be like a oh wacky mixed up identity shenanigan, yeah. and then um, of course it's not that at all. Yeah. And we find out in the next scene, um, Gunn does go to the Frizzlica's home, and uh, he finds the Skench demon. And uh, I do have to say, I-, I meant to mention this before, I actually really enjoy the shirt that Gunn's wearing. Um, it's like, a, it's a dark shirt, long sleeve. Um, Gunn always does a great job rocking the long sleeves, mm-hmm. which, um, you know... I mentioned when we were talking about this, like, how much of an attractive man he is. And, you know, if he showed off the guns, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But I think he does such a great job with the wardrobe that he has. And uh, this one kind of has, like, the linear designs that are done in different colors of thread. And um, when... You know, he's getting all that phlegm shot at him. I was so worried that something was going to happen to that shirt. Oh, man, that's like a, that's a really cool shirt. Um, but he manages to take care of the, of the skench without getting anything on his shirt. Very and good. says, this must be my lucky day. <laughs> Which then the enforcer says, uh, you better think again. Uh, we get a flashback to seven years earlier. Uh, and we get our Gangster's Paradise needle drop, and we see a uh, younger gun um, walking into this uh, casino. And we find out that uh, that Jenoff um, is able to make it happen. Um, if, if you sell your future, he doesn't necessarily say your soul, he says your future, mm-hmm. which I think is a, is a nice wording for what they're trying to yeah. get across with this episode um, he says if you sell your future if you don't have a problem with that then I can get you whatever you want he's like oh who is it you want like you want money you want a girl and uh, we see uh, Gun take out a folded slip of paper we don't see what's on the paper uh, just like a, a funny little like oh what is, <laughs> what is it what, what, what is it that he wants um, Jinoff is impressed and he says that he can make it happen and uh but then he says, like, uh, okay, if you have pro- no problem, like, getting rid of your future, let's do this blood oath thing. Which is pretty cool, because he's got, like, the ring that has, like, the little um, little needle like come out of it. Yeah, the spike. And, uh, you know, they do the handshake, and then he slams Gun's hand onto the contract and gets the blood on there. I'm like, That's, that, is a, that is a cool depiction of a blood contract. Yeah. I like that. When he asks him about getting rid of his future, um, Gun just says, what future? Yes, uh, bleak, but a very important understanding of his headspace. Yeah, and and you have to think when we first met Gunn, um, his sole purpose was to um, protect the people that he cared about, mm-hmm. which in this case was his crew and his sister from uh, from like vampires. That's kind of his thing, and 
you know, we know that he probably had, he probably accepted that, you know, I'm going to, and he mentions later on in the episode, he didn't know how long he was going to be alive mm-hmm. doing this. It was dangerous work. I mean, he's just a human going up against vampires. He's very good at going up yeah. against vampires. Um, still. Arguably one of the best humans to go up against vampires. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's something that he thought that he basically every day I wouldn't necessarily say that he thought he was living on borrowed time but he thought that you know a future um like not having a significant other was just something that he kind of accepted yeah um in a way he kind of lived a life of a slayer yeah of that acceptance um or you know for some slayers lack of acceptance that um this is their life for however long that lasts Mm -hmm. and in the line of work that they're in could be shorter than um yeah yeah so uh we get we go back to the present uh the demon says the enforcer demon says that uh as i mentioned before he's uh planning on giving his soul to fred uh which is a which is a very strange way of saying something very romantic (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but and that would violate the contract that uh, we just saw in the previous scene. Uh, so Gunn now has 24 hours to report to the casino to deliver his soul. And you know, if you try to run, try to cheat, uh, then they'll take your they'll take his soul and Fred's as well. Yeah. Nice of them to give him 24 hours to put his affairs in order. Very much um, the uh, the kind of casino. Yeah. The casino thing, like, oh yeah, you better make good on this. Very, very much mob, mm-hmm. mob mentality. Uh, maybe not mob mentality, mafia mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when Gunn goes back to Angel Investigations, uh, he gets to talk with Cordelia. Um, she's taking a little break because, um, as we've seen throughout the episode, um, Angel is, you know, he's still in the pits. He um, he's been lying on the charred bed. Um, in the in like the ruined apartment and Cordelia's like not trying to say anything to him but she wants to be there for him so she like takes a book in and just like sits there but she gets a little hungry uh, so she shows up eating a fairly large sandwich massive so <laughs> yeah that was comedy <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she says like yeah I didn't want to eat in front of angels so I'm taking a little break <laughs> and I love that I love that it's it's these de- it's these like little moments, these little depictions. Uh, we were talking about Lower Decks, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks, about how one of your favorite things about uh, the character Talyn is that you love just her little interjections and comments and yeah. everything. And it's and I love how if done properly, it really enriches the character and just makes it feel right. Yeah. So you know, Cordelia just taking a break, eating a giant sub, and talking to Gun is is like very fitting and it speaks to the to the power and the strength of cordy and angel's relationship at this point that cordy feels she can step away and get some food and take a break from all of that and she knows that angel will be okay without her for half an hour also yeah it is i feel like this should go without saying but uh it while it is incredibly important to be there for your friends and uh, people that you care about, you also need to make sure that you take care of yourself too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if 
you know, you're helping your friend get through something, but you need to take a big sub break, do it. Yeah. You got to put that oxygen mask on yourself first. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And uh, she and Cordelia says, like, oh, you look like something's wrong. And, you know, Gunn's not being very forward with it. But I think now that Cordelia's back, they can't really keep things to themselves anymore. Because <laughs> Cordelia is fine with putting everybody's business out there. But she says, like, I know, I know why you're feeling bad. Uh, you've got, like, things are going great for you. You guys are, like, a really happy couple. But, you know, between everything with Wes and Angel... It seems like you shouldn't be allowed to be happy, which you really should. Yeah. You should be happy, and you should enjoy being happy. And uh, and he's, and uh, you guys should both take the day off. Um, and so that's when Gunn realizes that he wants to spend the entire day like fitting as much Fred time in as he can. Mm-hmm. So, Cute. Yep, he makes her breakfast bed he orders her breakfast in bed. yes <laughs> yes that is it is it, incredibly delightful he does show up with like those um serving trays that have the cover on it then when he takes it off it's got the takeout containers um filled with pancakes and waffles do you think the second container had also pancake or waffles or do you think it had like bacon sausage and stuff i mean i'm I'm assuming it's from that diner that they went to Mm -hmm. frequently so i bet that has like your standard eggs Mm -hmm. bacon sausage hash browns that's what i was thinking but fred goes for the pancakes and waffles first which part of me always wants to do if i get like the all-star special from waffle house but i save the waffle for the end and i eat everything else first well the waffle is so filling and it's so sweet yeah um so yeah, I like getting all that savory and salty stuff in first, and then I get the waffle in. Hop off. I really want Waffle House. <laughs> Do you, are you a fan of Waffle House? You know, it's been a long time since I've been to Waffle House, but uh, historically, yes. People, I've been a Waffle House fan. I, I hate it when people, like, you know, tear down Waffle House. Um, it's kind of like the same reason that they tear down places like McDonald's. Um, she's like, oh yeah, food's terrible. I'm like, is there better food out there? Yes, but you know, Taco Bell, Waffle House, McDonald's, those places are those places are reliable. They're almost always open. And you know what? If I get a hankering for it, I can get a I can get full for a for like a smaller amount of money than going to like a sit down restaurant. I don't know if I can be fully on board with the idea of McDonald's being reliable. But I also don't like McDonald's like at all. Okay. McDonald's is they put a lot of pepper in all of their stuff. And I So I have noticed um so I'm not a pickle person at all. Mm-hmm. Um and I do notice that when I get McDoubles, uh I take the pickles off and I do see like visible pepper it's on it all, yeah their um, food is very peppery I don't like pepper like especially not like lots of it no McDonald's has always been like I, I feel that McDonald's is solid fast food that um again emphasis on fast food but it just takes like people are willing to give it like the the reputation that are like oh it's like it's it's shit it's cheap I'm like you know man sometimes that's what you need yeah like <laughs> man I can I can get full on a couple McChickens and a couple McDoubles for less than $10. And that is a really hard deal to find <laughs> um, elsewhere. Uh, but yeah, my fast food opinions, opinions aside, uh, 
Gun wants to. Gun says that they both have the day off, and he wants to spend the whole day with her. Um, what? Cut to the saddest and funniest match cut ever oh. of Wesley alone in his hospital bed, and the doctor walks in and says, "Like, how are we doing today?" <laughs> Knowing full well that Wes can't talk. <laughs> You know what that made me think of? The doctor from Arrested Development who oh said that God. Buster's alright because his left hand got eaten by the seal. I I don't know. I, I saw that clip today on a <laughs> um, on a uh, on a reel I was watching because it was it was comparing that scene with a scene from I, I don't know what the scene was, but it looked like it was um uh Roseburn, I think Seth Rogen as like a couple and they had a baby. That's and, neighbors, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And Jason Manzuka's was like a doctor. Does that okay. sound Um uh, if I if I had to guess, because I'm pretty sure that's the move I'm pretty sure that's Roseburn in there. Okay. Um, well basically the doctor tells them that their baby has like AIDS or something and they like start freaking out and he's like now, wouldn't it be terrible if that's, like, what the actual news was? And Rose Byrne started speaking, like, what the fuck? Why would you say that? Yeah. Um, I'm assuming, like, I haven't seen the whole movie, but I'm assuming that it's, because uh, that's Rose Byrne, Seth Rogen, and, uh, and others. Because okay. that's the one where they, like, oops, I need that browser. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the one where they needed to, that's the one where they, like, move, um, and a fraternity opens, like, next to them. Like next door to them, gotcha. and they kind of get into a fight with Zach Efron. Same. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the doctor says that like you know Wesley's ready to be released from the hospital, and um, ask him, "Is there anybody who can pick you up? Like any friends or family?" Nope, no. Dude is a uh, dude is alone. And it's called uh, Giles. Oh, like Giles is in England. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then we get this scene uh, where Fred and Gunn are eating at this restaurant, uh, outdoor restaurant. Mm-hmm. Looks um, like they've got wings, I think. Cause... Yes, uh, but they've they've been busy. Uh, they they went to a Dodgers game. Uh, they've had a lot of food. Mm-hmm. Street tacos. Street taco. Street tacos. Dodger dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, Fish sticks. Yeah. And uh, Fred says that she's full, and uh, Gun is uh, Gun's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> really? <laughs> but yeah, and um, yeah, Fred says that she's kind of wiped, which understandable because going to a baseball game that that alone can be kind of a draining experience. It's fun, yeah, but it can be draining. They're long, or it yeah. can be long, yeah. Right? Uh, but the, he and I can only assume like wants to go to like the movies, shopping, and there was something else. Yeah, um, and I will say that uh, this is a major league game. I mean, I get tired after going to a bats game. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, the local baseball team, Louisville Bats, is a minor league team that I believe is uh, is one of the minors that is associated with the Cincinnati Reds. I believe that's right. Yep, um, and I love going to bats games. I did not go to any this past summer though, so I need to need to up that. What? So you need to up that next I, summer? Yeah, I, I need to like go. We need to go to some bats games. We do. You, yeah, because I remember it was during this podcast that I found out that you actually like baseball. 
which is I like going to baseball. Yeah, games. yes. I don't yeah. follow it, but I enjoy no, no, going no, to no, games. no. It's it's a fun experience, and I guess I just always assumed that you weren't into sports at all. It depends. <laughs> Football like it bores me to butts, which is very <laughs> interesting because I love butts. Well, I mean that that too, but uh, who doesn't love butts? But the uh, I've always considered it. I've always considered. I think it's like kind of like a common feeling that baseball moves slower than football does. Uh, so it's an interesting perspective. Uh, it's a it's a baseball is a slow burn. It's a, and I also I, can again, follow the rules at, of baseball. Yeah, and again, being at the game is very different from watching it on TV. Uh, but yeah, so. Um, yeah, Gunn says, like, oh, I guess I'm trying a little too hard, and Fred says, like, well, you know, we, we don't have to, sho- we don't have to, like, uh, shove our whole lives into one day, and that's when she starts thinking that something's wrong, and, uh, so, we then get this scene where Gunn is, like, just immediately switches to being... Hold on. Okay. Hold on. You can't skip over her first question. Charles! Do you have leukemia? Oh my god, yeah. I can't believe I forgot that. <laughs> I Okay, this is what's fucked up. This is why it's funny. And it's really dark. But it's the fact that she goes straight to leukemia. When yes. you consider... At least I associate leukemia as being something children get. I know adults mm-hmm. can get leukemia, but it is... It is often it is often depicted as a childhood disease. Exactly. So it's weirdly darkly funny to me that she yes. goes to like kid cancer. No, I had Sorry. to. I had to. So fucked up. No, no, I had to like bite my tongue because I would have felt very bad about laughing about leukemia, but her delivery of it is. I mean, it's fantastic. It's like you can't be blamed for laughing at it. Uh, but yeah, she slowly... Even Gunn laughs. He's yeah. Like... She starts to surmise that something is wrong. Um, and so Gunn flips the switch and just starts, like, being hostile towards her, saying that, uh, you know, I've had it, we're done, uh, very loudly, and that you get to see a lot of the patrons' reactions to it. Mm-hmm. Harrison said that he would have just eaten it up with a spoon watching oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have even pretended not to be watching it. I'd, I'd turn my chair around. I'd be, I'd be like... It's like, ooh, dinner and a show. I'd be like, hit him! <laughs> tell, her she, tell her she's ugly! <laughs> so, and then, then Gun storms off. So this might be, I well, I get why it was done that way. I think that the writing is really sloppy in this scene. I feel like there's a way of getting to where Gunn needs to get and where how Fred needs to feel with better written dialogue. This mm-hmm. seems like kind of silly and cartoony. Like um, it, it's very obvious that Gunn is making this up. Yeah. And and in fairness, I am so grateful that G- Fred doesn't fall for it. Doesn't fall for it. But I do think you know I don't mind us getting to this place of him becoming hostile to try to you know just get her to end it so that he doesn't have to. But 
You're right. It is. It is like a switch. Yeah. Flip. The, yeah. It's and like, the di- and like I said, the dialogues just feel so clunky. And th- there's a better way to do this. Um, and it's so weird because every other, every no other scene has that kind of clunky dialogue mm-hmm. the way that this one does. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of that. They they swung, they missed. It yeah. happens. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so. And speaking of futures, Angel's t- Angel finally kind of starts talking to Cordelia, says that, you know, Connor was his future. He lived so long, but he always felt like he was just existing until Connor came along. And once again, a, uh, a an instance of saying the completely right thing, going to very well-written dialogue... Uh, Cordelia says that um, she's not going to say that like she doesn't know what he's going through she's not going to say that the pain's going to go away because it's not um, he lost his son and uh, I don't think she says I think it said earlier but uh, I think it was uh, Fred who said that it was the only son that he'll ever mm-hmm. have um, and uh, and Cordelia says that, like you can you're always going to miss your son you can live another 200 years and you will still remember what it was like to have your son taken from you and uh yeah he says like i don't know how i'm gonna get through it and cordelia's like well you know just kind of you just have to get through it yeah how you get through it that normally works itself out it's such good advice Mm -hmm. like there's no there's no blueprint. There's no map for this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's always there, but, you know, eventually you figure out how to live with it. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of, just kind of like loss in general. Yeah. Like, you know, you lose somebody that's incredibly important to you. It, it's ne- That hurt's never going to go away. Yeah. I think it'll just... I think the best that you can hope for is that it'll just hurt a little less over time and it becomes it becomes something that you grow and learn to hold on to and handle yeah and then and what what really like she really sticks the landing where she appeals to his sense of duty to their mission she's like you know you you know we'll you'll help someone and um Q <laughs> Cue uh, a crying Fred. Uh, Cordy opens the door, and uh, she, yeah, she didn't want to. Um, I like that Fred said that she didn't want to, uh, like you know, interrupt what was going on in there because, which very nice for her. But she also didn't have a place to go, and I love that Angel just immediately kind of jumps into mm-hmm. what's wrong. How can we help? Um, then uh, we had a quick scene at the quick scene before the commercial break um, of a uh, gun going into Jinoff's casino um, and uh, we see that Jinoff gets the soul by sticking his fingers into the eyes of the person whose soul he's taking um, just so you know, we know how he does it yeah. <laughs> and we can set up like the tense scene to follow um, and Gunn says that you know he's there to pay the bill um, so uh, the balls on gun, like just walking in there later on, 
like the way he just doesn't flinch like mm. yeah no um yeah gun and I also like that gun is you know honorable yeah like, I mean it's it's a shit deal to have to go through but you know he's not at at, at I don't think at any time in this episode did it look like he was going to walk away from this yeah because I think he would have fought harder um, if Fred, Fred wasn't, weren't in danger. Yeah. Um, but the fact that, from his perspective, it's... either give him myself or Fred gets hurt as well. Yeah, he, he is willing to walk into that to save her a thousand times over. Yep. Oh, that's so romantic. <laughs> Tragically romantic. <laughs> um, so then uh, that's when... That's when we have this great scene where uh, Fred is basically saying what happened... And uh, and at first everybody's like, are, "Are you sure he didn't just break up with you?" And uh, and Angel says, "Like, wait a minute, you guys were dating." Yeah. I love the the Fred's like, "God would never say those things." And Cordelia's like, "The things he said." To <laughs> <you>. <laughs> the way you said that was almost like a Taylor Tomlinson bit. <laughs> <laughs> then um. The Buffy wiki. Oh my god. It's just like, it has this whole paragraph explaining what happened in that scene, and then just a one, a paragraph break, one sentence, Wesley returns to his apartment alone. Which is what happens, but then paragraph breaks to the next part. Oh my god, it's really funny. And the episode is, all these cuts to Wesley are deliberately timed to match cut, um, you know, this match, this cut of Wesley returning to his apartment alone as the wiki says um, is a match for Angel saying we're not going to lose another member of this family. Yeah. So you know all of these cuts are and I mentioned the one before as well like they are deliberately placed in these spots um, for just maximum heartache. <laughs> and, and I do love that the uh, that like the subtext is now text like we've yeah. talked about how the angel investigations has become a family and now angel's just flat out saying it yeah and i love it i love it <laughs> yes men acknowledge your feelings <laughs> anyway <laughs> so then uh angel decides to um like get a plan to motion to find gun uh he's not answering his phone at his apartment or his cell so um he says that uh that the Grusalog and uh cordelia should go um should check out gun's apartment uh and um fred and angel will check out like with some of his old crew go to their old haunts and uh and then Groot says like oh when we find when we find gun we should make sure to give him this card because <laughs> i promised that i wouldn't and then, and angel's like yeah that's good what <laughs> the, the shots of grew as angel's like assigning roles it just keeps cutting to grew as he's like he, he almost looks like a dog, like, watching, like, a bobbing dog. Like, he's, like, he's, like, following along. It's, uh, I really like, um, I really enjoy, uh, Mark Lutz, the actor, um, who's just giving himbo. <laughs> Good himbo energy. Uh, so when Angel sees the card, he immediately knows who Jinoff is. He's the soul sucker. Nice. That's fucking metal. <laughs> 
I do believe, uh, let's see, Soul Sucker would be the name of my, uh, uh, Vampire Weekend cover band. Ah, oh, that's not great. No. Uh, <laughs> they can't all be winners. They can't. <laughs> um, so, uh, Jinoff does say that, um, he's, he's impressed, uh, most people by gun most people don't walk through that door voluntarily the second time and uh yeah gun's just about to let it happen uh angel investigations burst in um they and uh they it is kind of like your standard casino yeah (laughs) so they so like they have to fight a lot of the security but then they're surrounded um jinoff is like oh yeah i'm gonna gonna kill you guys and uh that's when angel offers uh Double or nothing. Title drop. The yep. <laughs> and uh, he says that uh, we play one game, and uh, you win, uh, or you lose. Gun gets to walk free. You win. You get gun soul of mine. And Genos is like, uh, "You're a vampire. I can smell it from here." And like, come on, man. Everybody knows Angel by now. I love how Angel's like, "Gun's my employee. Like, you can't take him." And uh, Jenoff's like, you should have done a background check. And I'm like, you clearly didn't bother to do any research on who Gun's hanging around. Yeah. Except Fred, apparently. Uh huh. Um, Fred's not, Fred is not happy about this. And she's like, um, but, but if you lose, won't you turn into like an evil vampire that'll kill everybody, including us? And uh, Angel's like, yeah, that could happen. So he, uh, he gives Cordelia a steak and says, like, make it quick. And she says, you know, I will. Love it. <laughs> um, so, uh, Jinoff asks, like, what game he wants to play. Uh, Angel's, like, making it like he's a bit of a card shark. The way that he's shuffling. He's, like, played a good deal of cards in my in my day. And uh, then he... But then he says, like, oh, I just... How about cut the deck? High card wins. And uh, I do like Jinoff. says like, not only has the vampire got a soul, he's got guts. It did bother me that they didn't specify if ace, aces were high or low. Yeah, really that, is, matter, that is kind of like... important. <laughs> that is kind of important. But uh, yeah, Jenoff gets the nine of clubs, and then Angel pulls the three of hearts. And it's like, a three, a three. Everybody's just like, a three. And the way the music builds, it's like, the music yeah. builds, and then boom. <laughs> I love it's it. It's great. But of course, then Cordelia just like, Takes the stake and stakes Jinoff's hand to the table. Angel grabs his axe and cuts Jinoff's hand off. And he, head. It, his head, yeah. Pardon <laughs> me. Um, and I love, I love when he's like, oh, pretty good. I got it. And goes like, if I know it was that easy to kill him, I would have done it myself. But, and this is the really cool practical effects mm-hmm. thing I was mentioning before. Uh, Jinoff's head does start to sprout back. Yeah. I compared it to Judge Doom. Yeah, uh, it's the eyes specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it, it also creepy. it also looks um, it, it also looks a little bit uh thing ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which uh, I, I honestly think uh the thing might be the gold standard for practical horror effects. Oh fuck yeah, yeah. I honestly can't think of anything. Maybe the OG Alien. Um, but I I still kind of would put the thing over. There. I would. I mean, I obviously now, love. You, you have more experience with horror movies than I do. So I you might have another one. Out I there. love Alien, obviously, but I mean, Alien, incredible effects, but they're pretty limited to the face hugger, the alien, and the egg, which all look yeah. amazing. But um, the thing 
has so much going on and um and they're and they're more a lot of mobility in there that is um you know in the in alien it's just the alien that has to be mobile and once it's big it's a suit um so it's like it's no it's not to diminish the the work that they did on that film but yeah the effects in the thing are are yeah are something special um i would say cronenberg's the fly has really um really really good but most cronenberg especially his earlier stuff um uh scanners is scanners is pretty crazy i haven't seen scanners but i've i've seen like the head exploding yeah. scene from Scanners. I've not seen the movie, but um, I just I love practical effects in movies, and like CGI has its place. And you know, I you know VFX artists they work really hard. Um, There's go, just something go yeah. the Marvel VFX artists who are unionizing. Um, but there is something but, special about practical effects, which is why um, which is why Star Wars is so rev. One yeah. of the reasons why Star Wars was so revolutionary, yeah, um, and why so many people disliked the prequels at first because there was a more reliance on CGI as opposed to the practical effects mm-hmm. of the original trilogy. Yeah, and I mean, I a lot of those practical effects from the original trilogy have held up way better than a lot of the CGI in the prequels. And the good thing is is that those practical effects, when you watch like 4K, like mm-hmm. 4K remasters, it looks it still looks great. Yeah. Like you compare a 4K practical effects of an even like an older movie like a Star Wars A New Hope to um, something today with um, a lot of CGI in my opinion I think uh, you know the Star Wars looks better. Yeah, um, of course. One of this is you know we're getting they're still practical, but we're getting more into robotics and animatronics. Mm-hmm. Jurassic Park, like, oh my god. Yeah. So, anyway, this it, looks so cool. Is what we're yeah. saying. <laughs> um, so uh, Angel's like, uh, oh, does anybody else hear oh, this guy? And uh, there's like a beat, and then everybody just starts like attacking him, and uh, the team gets out. Uh, so then, um, you know, uh, Fred and Gunn are in Gunn's truck, and they are, uh, and Gunn is apologizing profusely, and Fred's like, now say to the tape recorder. Cute. Yeah, they, they are very cute, and so Fred asks, like, oh, um, who'd you trade the soul, your soul for? And it is revealed that he traded the soul, his soul, for the truck. Mm-hmm. And, um... The implication up to this point was it was somebody. it was for a girl. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Gun said that's when Gun explains that like you know the truck kept him alive, helped him save lives, um, and he didn't think he had a future, but now he does. You know, the first time I watched this episode, <clears throat> I was seventeen, and I, I actually kind of thought this this was silly. Um, I didn't quite. I heard the words he said, but I was still so focused on the, you sold your soul for a truck? That's so dumb. That I wasn't really taking in what he was saying. Yeah. And but as I've gotten older, like, like that truck was, that truck was potentially the difference between life and death for him, for someone he loved, possibly for a stranger he was trying to save. Like, And I, I don't know if the writers had this in mind, 
but you can look at it as a way of just how you know young black men you know they they are seen probably by themselves and also by society as like you know not having a future um you know likely to um you know get into situations where they could die um whether it be from like um you know criminals or cops and uh and so like i said it, they, they probably didn't have that nuance planned but yeah. <laughs> you can look at it with a modern eye yeah um and see like you know i can totally get gun like having those societal pressures on it having that societal view on him like oh nobody expects anything from me so not only is like even if he wasn't doing the work that he was doing then you know what future have i got yeah and i'm glad you said that because it is important for us to remember that even when the writers are not thinking it through with that nuance um which I'm going to say probably not. Yeah. Um, that doesn't change the fact that Gunn is a black man. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that nuance still exists. And, um, yeah, and, and thankfully, I'm hoping that people are, in this day and age, able to pick up on that. Yeah. Um, I do hope if uh, any black listeners who have thoughts about this, I would love to hear them. Um, if yeah, you think we, we're way off the mark. We, or, if which we, or if you I agree. Am, I'm honestly probably expecting me to be way off the mark um uh we're we're both like we're both white men that speak from uh speak from positions of privilege uh so yeah i'd love to i'd love to hear more um i'd love to be educated yeah um and then we close the episode uh cordelia is watching angel taking apart connor's crib it's the first step it is and yeah it goes into what cordelia says it's like you know there's no one specific thing you have to do to move forward you just gotta move forward it's got to um but yeah i, so I like the, this episode I think it's really yeah, good yeah it is like i it's i think like you said it does have monster of the week energy but like many i think i actually think angel does a better job of this than buffy does of being able to tie, like, having a monster of the week sort of thing, but being able to tie it, tie, like, the, tie the characters more together. Yeah. Um, the episode, I was, when I was thinking about this earlier before we started, the episode I was kind of comparing it to in my mind, um, and this is going to potentially sound very strange at first before I explain myself, but um, is Go Fish. Where this comes kind of right in the middle of a lot of stuff, a lot of really heavy plot stuff, a little emo- high emotional stakes, um, and high plot stakes. Um, but whereas Go Fish just exists there because they had an episode count to fill, um, this episode, yes, it, we are take we are coming down off of these like life and death you know you know portals in the sky and babies kidnapped and conspiracies stakes into more human drama stakes that yes does involve souls being stolen um it's a smaller scale more dramatic situation than the kind of big cosmic thing we've been dealing with but so yeah even though we're kind of slowing down for a minute and we yeah we're tying it directly into the 
interior lives of these characters, specifically Gunn, um, to a lesser and extent Fred, Fred and, and you know even even Angel and Cordelia, who are tertiary in this episode, we see their emotional reactions to all of this too. And I like how, on its own, the gun plot wouldn't seem to take up an entire episode's worth of time, but that's great because the time that isn't used for Gun and Fred is used for like um, this very subtle, gradual um, coming to terms with everything with Angel, which is also a perfect time to bring back Cordelia as well. Um, So yeah, very, very well paced. Like I said, it's got that one really clunky scene, um, but you know, honestly, this is a surprisingly strong episode for where it is in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, what, are you, what are you thinking, score-wise? I'm, I'm thinking it's... I'm giving it four pancake kisses mm. out of five. I will give it uh, four soul-bought trucks nice. out of five. Soul trucks. Soul trucks. Not to be confused with soul plane. <laughs> All right. Uh, any any last thoughts? or? Not really. I think I rambled on enough for this week. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on Booze and Buffy. We will be back next week. Um, our last of, a, of an Angel streak uh, for the moment. Angel Season 3, Episode 19, The Price. Ooh, what could that be? Uh, I'm Jason. You can find me on Instagram at yamij 357 And I'm Harrison. You can find me on Instagram at Harrison Alexander Kaufman. Uh, and on Twitter at Harrison Kaufman. And on threads at Harrison Alexander Kaufman. Ooh, I'm starting to get a little, little bit into it. We'll see if I, if that continues. Is, uh, is Booze and Buffy on threads? Not yet. Okay. Because I'm still trying to figure it out personally. I'm making sure that I, uh, <laughs> making sure that I like give that info if it's there. Yeah. Uh, you can find us, Booze and Buffy, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Booze and Buffy. Or you can email us at boozeandbuffy at gmail.com. The and is spelled out in all of those cases. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. And, uh, yeah, we like to highlight uh, different uh, causes, um, charitable causes to look into. Um, Unfortunately, uh, thanks to uh, far-right Republicans, the uh, government is heading towards a shutdown. And uh, among many other things, would uh, prevent government agencies from being able to fully help uh, different areas of the country that have experienced disasters. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a ton of tropical storms and stuff that have been hitting the East Coast, that have been hitting Florida. Um, um, so that that aid is in jeopardy. So um, finding like different organizations to donate to that aren't necessarily linked to the government. Um, probably like a good thing to focus on yeah. because for the looks of it we have no idea how long if this government shutdown happens how long it will last so um, we've highlighted them before but direct relief is a really good one mm-hmm. um, yeah alright well as always go slay and be gay toodles bye <laughs> <laughs>